And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Hey, thanks to Jerome Chang for making us an awesome intro for the show. It's cool to have and logo and some music now on video. It's not just me selling something and then going with the show. A little awkward. So Jerome's awesome. Love the intro. Going to keep adding more and more cool stuff here as we roll along. Derek Van Riper here today with Eno Saris. Bells and whistles. Oh, yes. Bells and whistles. More toys. <laughs> more gadgets. <laughs> more fart guns. Yeah. I've got mine ready if we need it. Yeah, I'm glad you still have that because I, I don't want to ask people who make cool things for a living to make fart gun sounds easier for us to use. I th- feel like if you're going to resort to that level, you should have to actually reach for the toy and use it. I just want a little button on my computer that I can touch. That makes can I just have noise. a clip that does it? <laughs> no, use the use the prop. It's funny to use the prop. So hit that like button if you're watching us on YouTube. Thanks to all of you listening along on the podcast version of the show. On this episode, we're going to talk about some new-ish pitchers. Take a look at their stuff and command numbers. Get a sense for what those guys might do as they get more and more experience here in the next few weeks. Uh, we have an email with the subject line, Freddie Peralta, greatest of all time. We are not talking about Freddie Peralta. It was just a clever trick used by one of our listeners <laughs> to ask a question about velocity and whether or not velocity is overrated. So we'll tackle that question. Uh, and we'll dig into some of the rest of season projections, the outliers, the, the guys that surprise us. We'll look at hitters mostly on today's show because uh, CJ Crone was the focus of a question. I think there's a couple other names that really stood out to me as I was looking at that list again, thinking about the second half of the season. Uh, you know, how was your weekend, by the way? I know you had some big plans. The um, interesting party you had planned for Saturday. How'd that go? It was good. The fight was pretty good. In fact, uh, it was strange. There was two fights on. Uh, ESPN had a fight in pay-per-view. So we, uh, I think, you know, with all the undercards, we saw like six boxing matches. It was pretty good. Um, and uh, good beer was had. It was it was fun to see people and not have to run, you know, or keep an eye out on the kids. So, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was like after when some of my friends left, we were like, hey. Let's do that again. Let's 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 be adults. Let's get our lives back. <laughs> yeah, let's get our lives back. I was messaging you on Saturday because Saturday is my my cleanest day off most weeks. I don't have any shows that day. It's literally supposed to be a day where I don't work. And it was the first day I had in a while where I was sitting there and I was fixing my schedule because my calendar has been a mess. No one cares about this, but I think this could actually help some people. <laughs> and what what was happening was over the course of the last year, especially, I kept adjusting my schedule to accommodate everybody else with different recordings and things I work on. And it's good to be flexible to a point. 
at a certain point, it starts to work against you and your days start early and end late and you don't do enough with the time in between tasks and then you're just glued to your computer way more than you should be. So I had the take the schedule by the horns. My schedule has horns. It's a bull. Mm. Take the schedule by the horns moment. Get it all back configured. And now I have more time for activities like parties and being an adult, which it's so lame to, to say, oh, I had to clear out my schedule to like <laughs> make it a priority to go hang out with my friends. But I just had to find those pockets of time outside of I've got Saturday. Like that that doesn't work for most people. There are other times to hang out. Uh-huh. Hey, you want to get a beer after work on Tuesday? You want to go to dinner on Thursday? Now I can because I'm not a clown <laughs> with my schedule anymore. So uh, shout out to all the people who've helped me with that over the years. I finally, at age 36, think I might have a handle on my schedule. Uh, well, the schedule note I should pass along. Monday, Thursday, Friday this week for the show with the All-Star break coming up with the holiday next week, all sorts of different things. Schedule's going to be a little bit lighter, two shows per week, each of the next two weeks. Dates to be determined, especially All-Star Week because of travel and different things going on. By the way, I'm jealous because as of right now, I don't think I'm going to make it to Denver for that wiffle ball game. But there will be more wiffle ball games in the future. I'm putting that out there for anybody who can't make it to Denver for that first one. Future gatherings will include wiffle ball now and forever. Yeah, also on uh, this Thursday. What's the date this Thursday? That's July 1st. Yeah. This Thursday night, I'm going to North Park Brewing in San Diego. It's because you manage your schedule better than I used to. (laughs) So if you're listening and you're in San Diego, head on by. I think I'll just be there um, sort of early evening, happy hour time, five five or six o'clock sometime in there. See you at North Park Brewing. Nice. I like the impromptu gatherings. Those are a lot of fun, and I'm glad we're getting back to those. Let's get into some of these new-ish pitchers that people were asking about. I think we got individual questions about Zach Thompson from more than one listener, and he was also part of an email from Tim that included a bunch of names. So we'll start with Zach Thompson, the rookie in Miami. Uh, Overall stuff and command numbers aren't necessarily eye-popping. I saw a 94.2 for stuff plus, but 99.6 for location plus. But there might be a little more to the story here. As you look more closely at the arsenal, did you come away somewhat confident that Zach Thompson could be at least a viable home streamer, given that he makes half his starts in Miami? Yeah, one thing that uh, stuck out to me and might make sense given his um, inconsistent minor league command and homer numbers um, is that I think he's probably kind of making the transition or have has made the transition to where the cutter is like his primary pitch. Um, I looked over at Brooks baseball and uh, he's throwing the cutter when he's behind in the count. So it's definitely a thing that he uses for called strikes and for whiffs. Um, and that's a good sign, I think, because his forcing fastball doesn't rate that well. Um, and so the cutter, I think, has to be kind of a, a strike getter for him. The bad news is the curveball rates really poorly um, by stuff, and he that's his secondary he trusts the most. So I don't know what to do with the fact that the changeup gets great stuff numbers, but he threw 10 of them, and he didn't even have a grade for it on fan graphs. Um, and then the curveball gets an 85 stuff plus, and he's throwing a ton of them. So 
there's obviously maybe a disconnect between how Stuff Plus sees the curveball and how maybe the Marlins see the curveball. Yeah, I think that's something you've mentioned in the past, that teams have their own way of measuring pitches on a similar scale. Mm-hmm. And there's also the philosophy of different organizations, which maybe was part of why Matt Manning was throwing so many fastballs for the Tigers, for instance, right? Like We, we don't really always know a the organizational philosophy like we can learn it over time or at least try and understand it over time and b we certainly don't know what's inside the black box for each of those teams as they're looking at these pitches and trying to get guys to have success the big league level for the first time yeah and it's great that you bring up both of those guys because they're both i think at this point probably on teams that are focusing on development rather than winning games never you know every single night and so there may still be some aspect of this with Thompson where they're like, you know, he's going to, he's got a good feel for the curveball or he needs that curveball. Um, we're bringing the change up along slowly, whatever it is, you know, like maybe, maybe this, the, the goal is to have him throw more change ups in the future. And they do think it's an asset. Um, and they just have to coach it out of him slowly because if he throws the change up and it gets hit for a homer one time, um, you know, a lot of times a young pitcher can say like, well, I, I knew that pitch was no good. I'm not going to throw it. <laughs> yeah, it shakes it off mm-hmm. the next five times. The catcher puts it down and a couple, and there goes couple the games pitch. pass that it's gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The catcher stops putting it down because he knows the pitcher doesn't want to throw it. So uh, I think Thompson for now is more of a 15 team mixed league sort of guy. I think in a shallow league, it had to be a two start week, maybe two home starts even for me to push him into the mix. The one thing about Marlins pitchers in general, though, is that they just, they're like the highest quality streamers, you know, and they get, you know, if you think about it, no other Marlins pitcher is a matchups play. Marlins starter. Maybe Eliezer Hernandez when he comes out. Yeah. Well, good question. I I got that on Twitter earlier today. Pablo Lopez was among the pitchers. One of my followers was was wondering about, and he's got at Philly. Every down guy at this point. At Philly? (laughs) Anyway, my point is uh, Zach Thompson (laughs) becomes rosterable because he's a really high-quality bench pitcher, right? Because you can just move him in and out based on matchups. Um, and he's absolutely the kind of guy who can win games or at least get you, you know, nice ERAs in, in Florida. Yeah. I mean, I, I like pitchers that have command right away. Like that, it's always, always good. If you're looking on the wire and you, your choices are guys that are bad at everything, or at least the guy that has command, obviously the guy with command has something he can build off of. And that probably describes this next guy very well. Colby Allard, uh, actually above average command so far. Stuff is just not good. The changeup is his best secondary, and it's a pretty average pitch. So I think he's pretty clearly just an innings eater. But I wonder if, because of the ballpark in Arlington, the new park there, are we looking at a similar setup to what we have in Miami now in Texas, where sometimes just having a job in that rotation might be enough to make you at least useful at home. I mean, obviously, no one wants to throw mediocre pitchers or even average pitchers against the Astros right now but the rest of the division especially with no trout for the Angels a lot of soft landing spots in the AL West we talked about that all season Texas is low-key like one of those better places to get good matchups for your pitchers right now what do you see in that profile with Allard I know he's really young and he used to have prospect pedigree but 
I came away looking at it and saying he, it's like he still doesn't have a great pitch to go out there and get hitters to swing and miss. Yeah, no single pitch is above average either by itself or compared to pitches. But it, it's kind of like he has, you know, three or four average pitches. Um, so I think on the nights when he has great command, he can win a game. Um, his command plus is 101, so that fits in with location plus. It's a guy who, you know, has a bunch of pitches and, and, and can win on a given night. But, yeah, I would want to do weaker offenses at home. And if there is, like, a, a kind of Florida-Texas thing, then obviously the the Texas one is not as nice because it's it's a not that same stadium and then B uh, you got the DH so yep you know uh, I think a lot of these guys that we're going to talk about are matchups guys uh, so far between these two Thompson uh, is the guy I would maybe graduate from that and be like at least a bench guy right probably I think as we go through Thompson versus this third guy. Bailey Ober, I think, is probably a pretty tough toss-up. Like, I think the next guy we're going to talk about is probably the best of the entire bunch, and the numbers make it really easy to see why. But Ober was on the receiving end of a Chris Young comp from a friend of mine. Mm. He's tall, throws a lot of strikes. And I, when I look back at Chris Young's numbers, I always remembered great ratios, and I always thought, well, he's doing that because he pitches in Petco, and you know, that, that's the whole story with Chris Young. And it really wasn't like the more I look back, like I, he was a little better than I probably gave him credit for back in the day. So curious if you think that comp actually holds up with Ober and also curious if you like anything in the underlying uh, pitch mix that he could start to play up a bit more to get that stuff number up a bit higher. All right, hold on. I'm furiously getting Chris Young stats up because <laughs> I thought he was always worse than I thought when I looked at his numbers. <laughs> Um. Hey, look at that! Th- a career three nine five ERA in thirteen hundred innings. Yeah, some good years. Some not great strikeout numbers. He, you know, just the thing that was funny about him is he didn't re- like. He was like he didn't really have a secondary pitch. Right, and the K's went away over the course of his career. Like early in his career in San Diego, eight K's per nine, pretty consistently uh-huh. back in an era where that was pretty good. By the end of his career, the ratios weren't awful. He was in the high fives, you know, low six range, kind of like Wade Miley, you know, like mm. that's, that's what he became in his later years, which that was, that was the Chris Young that I was always kind of frustrated by, but early career, Chris Young was a pretty good pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, any case, I could overdo that. Um, you know, the four seam fastball, uh, is almost his best pitch. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a nice six stuff plus when you compare it to other four seam fastballs. So. Uh, that's about as good as any of his pitches. His changeup is average. His slider is average. Um, this curveball, this says he's not very good. Um, let me see what his command plus is. I, I, you know, I have too much going for me. I think I, for me, Thompson's ahead of Ober. Ah, here's something interesting about Ober: one seventeen command plus. Hmm. So just. Uh, once you put the 117 command plus with that stuff number, I still think I have Thompson ahead just because the park matchup, all that stuff is better. But Ober, Ober's roster will do. Like a 117 command plus is, let me get my rankings out. I mean, there's a very few people that have that. 
In my in my last rankings, 117 Command Plus is Zach Wheeler, DeGrom, Berrios, Pablo Lopez, Ryu. Ryu has a 118. Um, you know, Granky 118. So what that's pretty good, Command Plus. Uh, with the stuff plus number in, he kind of compares okay to Chris Paddock, 97 stuff plus, 116 command plus. Uh, JT Brewbreaker, 95, 115. Um, who else did he compare well to? Alex Wood. And just a, I think that's actually pretty good. Alex Wood, but, you know, in the NL, in the AL. So, uh, I can't, I still like Thompson. I th- I think like Thompson would be, make my like, uh, you know, ninety five through no hundred and over should be should have been in sort of, uh, the one hundred to one ten. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I I was looking at the location plus number, and that's quite a bit lower. So I, I was surprised that there's that much of a difference. Oh, I did put over one eleven. So hey, that's not bad. <laughs> I, I actually. Had him in there. Um, yeah, uh, they, they don't always track uh, exactly correctly because, um, and I, I wonder if there's some of a story here or something to kind of uh, analyze at some point, but location plus is just, do they put him in the right location? Um, and uh, command plus is, do they do what we think he intended to do with the ball? Uh, both have their flaws, of course, but in between there, like one has a coaching effect, right? Like you could command the ball well but be told by your coaches to put them in bad places or like by the game plan or whatever or or maybe it's a like in a certain matchup you're um you're actually going for things that look like they're not good locations but against that player is a good location you know like down the broad street is actually an interesting location for some players like like there's some players that just like you know take balls there a lot you know so, you know, I think command plus is superior in a lot of ways, but location plus tracks it so closely that and they're in the same place, it's easier uh, to use those sometimes. But I believe that Ober has uh, excellent command because that, that uh, lines up with uh, his fangrass grades, a 60 command grade, uh, walk rates of like somewhere around one per nine in the minor leagues and tiny little homer rates. So, um if you take the nicer view of his home run rate, uh, as the bat does, you get a three nine eight one sixteen. Maybe I'm talking myself into over over Thompson, but they're <laughs> fairly close. Yeah, I think they belong uh, in the same group. Now, Sammy Long has come up a few times. I think we talked about him maybe when he first debuted because the minor league numbers really pop for him. Excellent K rates, good results, and the stuff plus number is awesome. One hundred nine point seven. So far, location plus at 103.7. Uh, I think of all the players we've talked about so far, I was looking at the individual pitches before we started recording. Sammy Long's curveball is the best pitch that anybody in this segment of the show offers. Like, if you give any of these guys that pitch, that would change a lot about them. So, I think that kind of puts Long clearly ahead of the rest of this group. Yeah. I mean, uh, no matter how you look at Sammy Long, uh, if it's stuff, command, uh, you know, results, projections, he he's the easy best player in this grouping. Um, you know, just one thing that you can just look at his bad projection: three seven zero one two four with ten strikeouts per nine. That's excellent. Um, everything, every 
you know, command plus is above average stuff. Plus is well above average stuff. Plus is above average for uh, three out of his four pitches. And yeah, there's a little bit of weakness in the fastball, which I think certain teams will, um, you know, exploit and get to him. I don't think he's a perfect pitcher, but uh, the one nice thing about long is I think he does have enough command on, he has a one ten location plus on the curveball. Um, I think he has enough command of that curveball, and he and from watching him, just sort of, uh, you know, the eyeball test, he goes to the curveball sometimes when people are expecting fastball. Like he can go to the curveball to get a strike. Um, so I, I, all around, uh, yes, best best pitcher in the grouping. I've always wondered if there's a way to quantify a pitcher's ability to be unpredictable and that's just basically counting the pitches i think a lot of times but even within that like there's certain instances where there are guys that they might have three or four pitches but they only trust one in a tight spot and the opposing teams figure that out right is there is there any way that you think we could quantify that it's a huge uh part of stuff plus it's a huge hole maybe uh in the in the analysis is that people can change their stuff plus by changing their pitch mix, right? They can, um, or like theoretically you could have a guy like Denilson Lamette who just like shows well in stuff plus cause he has two good pitches, but, uh, that means he only has two pitches. Right. And so he'll, he'll have a home run rate. So you have to like, when you aggregate the stuff plus, you have to have some sort of idea of how many pitches he has, I think. Um, and it's not, super easy one thing that can take tell us that it's valuable is that uh, mitchell lickman once found that um if you uh add another pitch a 10 percent rate uh at more than a 10 percent rate it doesn't matter how good the pitch is your third time through the order penalty goes down and uh you uh you can pitch deeper into games so that right there is meaningful, right? If you're trying to project innings and you're trying to, you know, make that link between how many pitches does someone have and the outcome. So um, maybe that's the thing. You you count how many pitches they have over 10% and that's a meaningful sort of input into your model. It's just number of pitches. Yeah, I mean, I think that has to be the starting point. I, I'm hoping we'll get to a point eventually where we can drill down even further and, and kind of separate the guys that, happy with one pitch as opposed mm-hmm. to those who continue to use all their pitches in various situations, especially d- the tight spots in particular. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's something I've tried to look at, like the idea that like um, a pitcher should be like 30, 30, 30, if they have three pitches in every count. Yeah. You know, and definitely it's something that, um, you know, like Tanner Roark has said to me is like, that's, I need to use all my pitches to both guys with both hands and started using change up uh his change up to righties and his uh um breaking ball to lefties i think and the, he, i have some quotes somewhere where he was like yeah the reason is i have to use all my pitches at all times and i have to it has to be like sort of 30 30 30 every time and that is a little bit harder <laughs> to throw into the model as far as long goes though there might be some shallow leagues where he's still out there i think he's actually rosterable even in possibly even in 10 team leagues but definitely in 12s and i don't think we would say that about anybody else in this group other than maybe Thompson and Ober in those right situations, but consistently rosterable in more shallow leagues, I think is a way to look at long at this point. Uh, the other name on this list, Bailey Falter. I haven't had a chance to see Falter pitch at all, so I'm relying entirely on numbers in this case. Um, you know, not terrible stuff, but a tick below average. 
Location plus is really encouraging there. I'm so scared by the ballpark. I just want to be encouraged by everything before I take a chance on an unknown in Philly. Yeah, it's a good point. And it just, you know, there's a little faint evidence that it's, you know, that it's bad for um, pitcher development in general. Um, I think just to have a pitcher come up and have to deal with that. Um, just look at Spencer Howard. And Spencer Howard has at least, you know, two uh two good pitches and some ups uh, some potential and was like thought of to be one of the very best pitching prospects in baseball right yeah i mean at uh, least the top 10 top 15 among pitching prospects well you i mean you've got much less than that for bailey falter i don't think like was he on any list that were you aware of like i don't think i've ever really heard of him before he got called up i didn't want to say it because it's like i haven't heard of a player oh you idiot like he was you know third best prospect or like it could be my fault that i haven't heard of him but uh i was surprised by him it can be but i'll I'll own this for 2020 with no minor league season you have to go back into the lower (laughs) levels of the minors which are even harder to track from 2019 and have that kind of memory I've got an okay memory, but sorry. I, I didn't know who Bailey Falter was uh, prior to this season. My bad. If you're bothered by that, if that has shattered the illusion, I'm very, very sorry. There's like, there's maybe more potential in Bailey Falter than almost anybody we've talked about. Really? At Why least by the Stuff Plus numbers. A 121 four-seam fastball by Stuff Plus, a 121 curveball, a 104 slider, that would rival Sam Long's collection of pitches. Hmm. Um, right now, what's keeping the stuff plus number down is that he's throwing a bad sinker a lot. Uh, sometimes pitches, you know, sometimes a pitcher is like, I have to throw the sinker because my slider works better off of it or whatever, right? Um, but you could see a slightly different version of this where he goes four seam curveball slider and all of a sudden he has like a 105 stuff plus. Or 110. I mean, that's that's that potential's in him. So the question originally came in from Tim. I think he was looking specifically for pitchers to stash away in deep keeper and dynasty leagues. Or just those leagues where no one's really available until they debut unexpectedly. And these are the types of names that pop up in those leagues. The way you're describing Falter, that makes me think that maybe he's maybe one of the more interesting stashes of the bunch. Could be a bumpy road getting there with the ballpark and these factors, but if he unlocks it and gets to the better pitches in that arsenal more consistently, the payoff could be a pretty significant one. Yeah, the 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 final piece here uh, that's really interesting is he has a one ten command plus. So you know we've been talking about uh, these different kind of groupings of of skills and stuff. He's a little bit like Bailey Ober with like better potential stuff, right? Really good command, four pitch mix, maybe potential to kind of change that mix up a little bit and be better so um yeah i think long term if we're talking about sort of a keeper grouping and a this year grouping i i mean this this i think falter and long are probably long is the best this year but falter gets a lot closer to long when you're talking about long-term uh projections because isn't sammy long is like 27 too 25 long is yeah he's a little older and thompson i think is the oldest of this entire bunch thompson's 27 already. yeah yeah so that was part of my 
concern when they call. He's the best up. matchups play this year. If like that's all you're looking for, because you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of good matchups out of him. But and Sammy Long's right there too, though, because he's got San Francisco home. So uh, I got I sort of we got a sort of long Ober Falter Thompson grouping. That's that's and Allard clearly last. Yeah, Allard clearly last. Maybe this guy can hang out with Colby Allard, uh, who, you know, Allard, of course, a former Brave. Kyle Muller, uh, recently called up by Atlanta. Stuff plus the tick below average. Location plus well below average. Curious where the command comes in there. Uh, is there anything in the underlying numbers that you see with Muller that gives you some reasons for optimism? Dude, uh, here's one where it tracks. Kyle Muller's command plus is 87. That's below the dreaded reliever shelf. Uh, of around 90, where it just becomes a lot less likely that you're a starting pitcher. Of course, uh, a player like Dylan Cease got from 87 to kind of 92, 93 this year. Uh, so it's not impossible to change your command, often by changing your, your pitching mix. But, um, you know, when you look through uh, Muller's groupings of pitchings, I don't, uh, pitches, I don't think that. Um, there's such an obvious uh, fix here. I mean, unless unless he just starts to believe in his changeup more uh, and throws it more, because that's the pitch that has like a, a good stuff rating, and uh, uh, he only threw eight of. However, the location plus on the changeup is 79, so I'm guessing that he just can't command it. There was always that with Carlos Rodon, where it's like his changeup does really well by stuff numbers, but he can't command it, so he doesn't throw it. Uh, and if you do, if that's the case here with that changeup, then he's a guy with like two okay breaking balls and uh, below average fastball and poor command. So a multi inning reliever, bulk guy. I bet you, yeah, yeah. Uh, but maybe for Atlanta, he gets pressed into business this year because uh, Atlanta just lost Soroka for the year again. Retore it. Oh, that sucks, man. That's so a that sounds painful, and b you just feel awful that he's he went through the rehab the first time and now has to do it again. Yeah, sucks for him. And it's somebody else that hurt there too. Freed's coming back this week, but I think there's still that sort of permanent open spot for the five spot in Atlanta, right? We've been trying some Bryce Wilson. Mueller could take that in a short term thing. I just uh, I think that like you know next year you'd. You'd hope to have someone better in that spot. Yeah, I think that's been a little bit of an ongoing problem for Atlanta for the last couple of seasons now. They've certainly done a good job developing some of that young pitching. You know, Ian Anderson, you know, Freed, who they traded for, of course, a couple success stories, and complementing it well with a few free agent signings, just trying to round it out. Can't quite find that fifth guy in Atlanta. Maybe a team that goes out and adds one more pitcher at the deadline, too. I don't think we really mentioned them when we were talking about possible trades during the show on Friday. Kyle Wright, for example, uh, looks better through most of this. Um, most of the same metrics. Kyle Wright has a slightly better uh, command, uh, uh, slightly better stuff plus, and slightly better command plus. But actually, they're both not that great, and so it's kind of actually similar. <laughs> it's the same with Bryce Wilson still too, right? They can't get separation from each other. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, declare a favorite out of all those guys, except for Bryce Wilson has the best command, but the worst stuff. And then there was Tucker Davidson for a little while. That one, I, I think that would be my favorite, actually. He's hurt though. Get that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, left forearm inflammation out until mid-August, and that, that turned a lot worse than expected really quickly. 
Yeah, my comp for Bryce Wilson was Robert Giselman, so uh, do with that as you will. I think that's holding up at this point, given the, the bumpy road. A bunch of pitches, but none of them are any good. He's trying. He's trying. He's trying to do the right thing. Mean Eno back on a Monday, though. (laughs) Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, you know, the email, as I mentioned earlier, came in with the subject line, Freddie Peralta, greatest of all time. And well, I'd love to talk about that for hours on end. It could probably make a whole bonus episode out of how amazing I think Freddie Peralta has been this season. The question was actually about something else entirely. It was a good use of a previously suggested technique by me to get my attention from listener Keith. Uh, Keith read a recent piece from Michael Selfino of The Athletic on The Athletic and was wondering if velocity is overrated because Selfino was looking at big velocity risers and fallers on four-seamers this year and taking a look at how results have changed in either direction for those pitchers. So the question was, is velocity overrated? Obviously, there's much more to pitching than velocity, but it is a big part of it, especially in today's game. The article was very interesting to me, and you guys are the best with pitching stuff, so I figured I'd see if I could get your thoughts. Thanks, Keith. Uh, so what do you think here? You know, do you think there's a chance that velocity is been overrated? Is being overrated? Uh, yes and no. Sorry, I don't have an easy top line answer on that one. The the reason it's not being overrated is it still matters a lot. If you look at uh, fastballs that were thrown between 92 and 93 miles an hour and you don't do anything but just look at that velocity band, uh, the slugging on forcing fastballs between 92 and 93 this year is 500. Uh, the slugging on forcing fastballs between 94 and 95, which is above average velocity, is 445. So you're basically going from uh, everybody being Chris Bryant against you with a 92 to 93 mile an hour fastball to everybody being Andrew McCutcheon against you if you're 94, 95, uh, just to give context on that. So it still matters a lot. And um, even in our piece that we did um, with Max Bay, um, who uh, will be moving on to a team, sadly, uh, which makes something like five straight analysts I've worked with being hired by teams. <laughs> yeah, I made the sad face because I had I had access to this black box this time, and I'm I'm not always going to be that lucky. So I'm yeah. Happy well, the for good Max. news about that is that Stuff Plus we are going to uh, try and take that uh, office platter before he leaves us and uh, turn it into some sort of app. Um, so that's, uh, still a plan and it, 
has to be done this year because we're going to lose him. Anyway, when we were working on stuff, plus the, he had the feature importance. And the first one is velocity differential. Um, and then you get spin and movement differentials. So um, the, the fact that spin and movement are so powerful still means a lot. Uh, so movement means a lot. However, when you see something like velocity differential and you say, well, couldn't you just have like a super slow curveball and like be like Granky, where like, you know, you throw 90, but you have a 70 mile curveball. Isn't that good enough? It is to some extent, but the velocity differential on all your pitches is meaningful. So uh, if you had a 90 mile an hour fastball and an 86 mile an hour slider and a 70 mile curveball, the slider, you know, would 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 have some problems because you only had a 90 mile an hour fastball, right? So velocity differential is actually fastball velocity. You know what I mean? Like because fastball velocity creates the differential for everything else. Yeah, I mean timing is what you're trying to throw off. Timing, and, and it, it's all about. relative <laughs> differences. So like big we've seen you see big league hitters hit home runs on 100 mile an hour fastballs sometimes like it's not right. just the, purely the velocity that makes those pitches great i think but, we so it matters how many pitches you that. have right like that's that's the one hole i think in stuff plus is the, how many pitches do you have because you could have a guy uh like uh, even like chapman sometimes gets taken deep and he, he's adding a, a split finger you know this year uh just to just to mix things up but you can have a guy like uh i think i don't want to pick on anybody but michelle michelle Baez or is it michael I think it's Michael. Why? Why would I say Michelle? Obviously I don't know. Um, anyway, be, you never know. I, 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 I always thought his name was Michael. Yes. Uh, yeah. Probably not Michelle. Uh, Michael uh, Baez um, uh, sometimes gives up homers, and doesn't he have like a tremendous fastball? Oh, that's why it's M I C H E L. Yeah. Of course, that's not Michelle. You idiot. Um, <laughs> let me see. What do I have here? Uh, 96 i've seen him throw 100 and, and give up homers um, i i mean i saw this this one will stick out in my head forever because it's one of the most ridiculous home runs i've ever seen i saw kike hernandez hit a 99 mile an hour josh Hader fastball out that was above or at the top of the strike zone geez. because he was looking for it like he yeah it was before before the pitch mix changes i think it was two seasons ago 2019 when he did yeah, he's, it, was like, he's starting to throw away more pitches. Like he's throwing changeups. Yeah. Cause hitters were just sitting fastball anyway. So yeah, command number of pitches, uh, movement on the pitches, all tremendously important. And it's possible that we're seeing the effect of velocity matter less in today's game than before, because average velocity has gone up so much that it's just velocity is just what it requires to get here. You know, like, you can't be throwing 80 miles an hour and and no matter what how good your movement was you're probably not going to make in the big leagues at 80. um so it requires to get to 93 but once you're in the big league big leagues is there that they might not be as much there may be other things that predict your success better than the fact that you throw 93 5 versus 92 6 or whatever yeah i mean i think that's uh it, it's all a longer way of saying you with more hitters well, with hitters being more accustomed to seeing pitchers throwing that hard too, it's not just that one trait anymore. That mm -hmm. would have been something that made you stand out 15, 20 years ago. If you threw 100 in 1999, that was a really big deal even back then. But you go further back in time, the further back you go, the more velo alone would have popped like that. I remember being super excited to go to the park to see Joel Zumaya. 
I just remember I'm going to see a hundred. I think that was probably the first time I saw a hundred in the park. I believe it. Yeah. It really wasn't that common just a, a decade ago. And, and they put like a whole, they made like a whole package out of it. They had like zoom Maya and like, you know, he hit a hundred and they had like a whole video package on the, on the, on the big screen for him. And I, I always wanted him to have like a long stretch of good seasons as a closer because it would have been a lot of fun if that had played out that way. Uh, thanks a lot for the question, Keith. I had a question come on about CJ Crone's lofty rest of season projection. It comes from Sean. Sean writes after hearing Derek talk about leaning into the bat OX, the bat X's WOBA rest of season projections. A lot of acronyms there. In search of value and arbitrage, I noticed how highly CJ Crone is rated 24th among hitters between Stanton and Bellinger with an acceptable 25 ish percent K rate. In your opinion, is this indeed value or the dreaded Coors-related outlier among Rockies? Only Story, Blackman, and McMahon appear in the top 100, but Crone is tops among them. Are there any mitigating stats to look for to avoid leaning too hard into the ex-Woba, or do you implicitly trust Cardi's methodology? Thanks again for the great work all three of you do. Sean, uh, I think the, the first thing that came to my mind, you know, is knowing the bad X has all the stat casts numbers factored into it crone is a barrel machine he will mm. pop in that system because he barrels a lot of balls he's done that for years even as a kind of an average batting average guy with a lower obp he's not your traditional high walk rate masher he's really kind of that fringy gets non-tendered type masher that when he runs good he's really good when he gets cold it becomes difficult to play him every day so i was surprised a little bit by this this number coming out this high. And I, I did wonder if it was a, a Coors related twist on the projection. Like he, I think Crone would be projected more favorably in the bat X than, than, uh, uh, than he would be in other systems anyway. But I think the Coors factor is adding an extra layer here. And because we're talking about a guy in Crone, who's almost certainly going to be traded in the next month, kind of figuring out where that number is going to drop in a more neutral or closer to average environment is probably an exercise worth pursuing because I don't think Crone costs much in trades, relatively speaking, and go out and get him in most leagues without a lot of, of difficulty. And you want to know like how, just how good of a player are you getting back? Are you getting a top 25 guy back or are you getting more of like a 50 to 75 range hitter back in the return? Yeah, it is funny uh, to see you know, the bad X give him a two, 260 ISO when, you know, like Steamer gives him a 220 ISO. Uh, but if you kind of cross your eyes a little bit and look at all the projections at once, like they actually tell a very similar story. I think, you know, a guy who's going to hit 260 and has like 25 full season home run power. That's kind of what his, his past seasons have told us. Right. So there isn't that much variance, uh, in his career. Um, and that suggests to me that he's, you know, even if he leaves cores, it's he's going to be a 250 hitter with 25 homer power. <laughs> yeah, those are skills that I think he's pretty clearly owned for a little while. Uh, not a good defender at first base, so that kind of factors into the real life value. But I think there are enough contending teams with a hole at that position where he could actually still be an everyday guy, still be in a good lineup and, and possibly hold value close to that projection, even though I wouldn't expect wouldn't expect him to meet that level. I think he does fall a tick below that. Yeah, and I mean, there is uh, something to uh, the idea that Coors is unique in that um, 
it has uh, a, a road effect, basically, like where you see a certain pitch mix at home and then you have to adjust to that. And then you go on the road and you see a totally different pitch mix like, and you have to adjust to that. It's possible that CJ Corona has not taken the full advantage of the Coors effect because he's still dealing with some of that like home away um, nonsense um, and and just dealing with the recovery times that are different in, in um, high altitude and stuff like that. Um, but I would say this, that just look at his current numbers and if they're valuable to you in your league, um, then buy because he's either going to do what he's doing right now, or he's going to do a slightly bit better. And I just, I wouldn't depend on like a 270 average from him, which is what the bad X gives him, because that's the thing I think that is most dependent on what happens at cores. Um, and so if he gets traded out, he's, so I think I would just depend on like sort of a 250 batting average from him, but I don't know that any of this is, um, like easily uh put to uh test in any way or 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 like some sort of slogan like where you can be like um yes the bad x is great but in people with people that switch to cores you know have to you don't believe it i don't i don't think there's a rubric here i think sometimes if the if there's a huge difference to what you think of a player and what a projection system thinks of a player you just have to poke around in the hood like we just did with chrome yeah i mean just looking at another rocky charlie blackman 359 projected well with the rest of the way I, I just don't think he's that guy anymore unfortunately it just seems like he's a decent player but not nearly like a top 40 top 50 type hitter is that that number really just to believe but I do think you get a little more of a lift from Coors than you should be getting on Crone right now and it's weird looking at his splits he's been actually really good in Colorado and awful on the road just those adjustments getting outside of Coors Seem to be wreaking some havoc on him. He's hitting 207 with a 324 OBP and a 293 slug on the road so far this season compared to 299, 385, 607 at home. I do like that he's walking more overall, though, too. That was one of the biggest knocks on him as a hitter. Didn't take a lot of free passes. 11.7% uh, walk rate overall this year is really good for him. The other players on the top of this list, I know we mentioned Jesse Winker Last time we looked at these, I still can't believe this, but he is projected above Christian Yelich now in terms of uh, Woba for the rest of the season, which mm. which to me, the exciting part of that is, holy crap, Jesse Winker is like an MVP caliber bat, or he's tracking that way, which is really exciting. And I think a, a natural question for me when I see something like that is, let's try to find the next one. Like We always liked Winker as a hit tool guy that was developing the power. All of it's coming together for him. Who could we be talking about maybe a year from now as having elevated himself up into this group of, of hitters somewhat unexpectedly? Like a guy that definitely does damage, but doesn't do as much damage with power right now as he will in the future. Uh, Alex Verdugo, I think, is a guy that's previously come up as part of the the conversation. Is there anybody else that's caught your eye lately, like a hit tool over power guy at the big league level that is a little bit young and could still take that last step? Hmm. I did a search here where I've got uh, players under 25. Um, let me open up the plate appearances. I have a qualified. I'm going to do 150 plate appearances and see if anybody else. And I'm sorting uh, reverse by strikeout rate. So the best strikeout rate guys that are under 25 and then looking at their ISO and just sort of guessing who I think will be more. I mean, obviously Soto is going to hit for more power in the future. 
Uh, Tyler Stevenson pops on this list. 17% K rate, 161 ISO. Uh, Pavin Smith is an interesting name hmm. uh, in, in Arizona. Uh, Gliber Torres, uh, you know, could just be on some crazy, huge oscillation switch and come back and hit 30 homers again. Uh, Jonathan India is on this list. Alex Kirilov. Multiple reds in there. Kirilov, his projections are already pretty strong for a guy with very limited big league experience. I was surprised by that because uh, people were asking me a lot of questions about lineups. And if there was an ad drop, I think someone was asking if it should be Hira or Kirilov for the rest of the season. I was telling this person to stay on Kirilov because the projections are quite a bit better. Yeah, I've got a name for you. And I just wish he pitched. He played in a different park, but I've got a name. Dylan Carlson. That's the one I kind of like the best. I see hit tool. I see all fields power. I do see a really tough home park though. Uh, but I could see, you know, I could see him hitting, you know, 18 or so homers this year. Um, and then going next year and hitting like 27. I like that. I think that definitely makes a lot of sense too, just based on the player he's expected to become and, uh, the adjustments he's made so far. I mean, I, I'm impressed by what he's been able to do at his age. Uh, and I think with Carlson, the other thing I'd be looking at in this case, low K rate was a big part of it, like you said. Mm-hmm. Are you looking for guys that are starting to show either a slight increase in exit velocity or barrel rate? Maybe they haven't done the full leap yet, but they're at least kind of tracking in the right direction. Like His barrel rate compared to last year, again, shortened season, not even a full season for him is down a little bit, 7% right now, 9.2% last year. But he is up a tick and a half just in terms of average exit velocity. Like I think that's the sort of movement that could possibly foreshadow uh, a, a bigger step down the road. Yeah, the nice thing is uh, you can actually put barrel and max EV and hard hit on your... Fangraphs leaderboards. Love that they have that. Let me take out base running. I don't need that. All right. So I'm going to just do this whole table again. And uh, I've got the, they're under 25 and I'm sorting by strikeout rate. But now I've got the, the hard hit stuff going there. Um, what? So same list. Uh, who's got the best uh, hard hit max EV barrel combination? Uh, Soto, obviously. We're just, like I was. That was just sort of kidding, joking, putting that in there. But uh, Austin Hayes is a batter. I didn't say uh, that has the best uh, barrel rate uh, and max EV combo um, in this grouping. Another standout. Indias are pretty good. Wow, Jonathan India has hit a ball 110 this year. Uh, Kirilovs are the very best of the grouping we were talking about. Kirilov might be a monster, dude. Yeah, like he's he's showing some early career indicators that point to a very high ceiling. But Dylan Carlson is in that second grouping of guys I could see that could take off. Also, I don't know if you think that Cal Tucker is hitting a lot of homers right now or not hitting a lot of homers right now. But if he's if you think he's not hitting a lot of homers right now, I think he will hit a lot of homers. I kind of <laughs> feel like he's already hitting a lot. Yeah, right. Like he's going to have like 25 or so this year. I could see him getting to like 30, 35, though. 
All right, one more level coming from him. Yeah, that'd be. I mean, that'd be huge. Look at the care rate down at fifteen point seven percent. I love that. to see that. That's eleven percent really barrel good. rate, one eleven max EV. Like he hits the ball hard. He makes a lot of contact. He's still stealing bases. Like if you if you're gonna do one of those deals, like where you you give a guy like three or four players, and you just want to get one keeper back, you're in like a keep five or something. Cal Tucker's still somebody that's on my list. Yeah, I think he was. I mean, because he was already a top easy top 50 probably like top 30 top 35 type player in a lot of drafts going into 2021 you're not going to get discounts on him anywhere but he could be a future first rounder that you're not quite paying first round value to get right now i think that's the that's the type of ceiling we'd be talking about if he's a 35 home run guy and he's striking out less that batting average is probably going to tick up above the 260 range he's already shown a nice floor though he's hit 269 268 and 265 going back to 2019. So if, if he goes up to their level with that power, with the K rate down, it could be 280, 290, maybe even a 300 type season mm-hmm. with all that power and with some speed to go along with it. If he's hitting home runs like that, he's probably not running quite as much, but that's that's easily first round ceiling from a guy that earlier this year at one point looked like he was a little bit of a bust for 2021. I mean, like the beginning of the season from Tucker was kind of ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, I just uh, like he's across the board, you know, especially when you start throwing age in there, he's just got all the skills you want to, to see to for a big breakout. So like Tucker and Kirilov are one level uh, uh, maybe with Kirilov. I think I'm not sure if Carlson belongs there, but maybe Carlson's like sort of in there with that that trio. And then the next group are more sort of long shots that could do it. Where you've got Tyler Stevenson, who has like a 107 max exit below, 7% barrel rate, nice home park. Pavin Smith has bad uh, stat cast numbers for the most part, uh, but he does have the contact rate. Josh Naylor, 18% strikeout rate, 150 ISO, 7% barrel rate, 115 max EV. So uh, that's an unfortunate injury for him. But uh, if you're in this position where you can just uh, stash someone, like Hayes, Naylor, uh, or Stevenson, that's, um, I wouldn't necessarily go out and spend a lot to get them because they're the next winker or whatever, but they do uh, have some of the same skills. Yeah, and I think Hayes and Stevenson, relative to the other names we're talking about, you can very easily trade for those guys in long-term leagues if you're not going for it this year, even if you are, and you want to get interesting players back as part of a return, they would make a lot of sense. I mean, with Hayes, He's such a good defender that I think he can carry a lot of playing time that way and keep getting more and more opportunities to improve. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Had a question come in uh, about trading in leagues that I thought was really interesting. Kind of a question, kind of a rant. Uh, This one came in from Matt. Uh, He writes, I'm not sure when it started, but it seems the industry as a whole has adopted a you-should-never-veto-a-trade motto backed up by statements like everyone can manage how they want or you don't know how a trade will end up. I feel obligated to at least try to offer a counterpoint. What this ideology fails to realize is that the foundation that a league even sits on is a completely significant time and energy dedication over the course of multiple months across 10 or more people. This time has no ROI when looked at in terms of money, family, etc. It is a pure <laughs> labor of love. Not and In many cases, this is true. Uh, unfair trades signal that winning a relatively insignificant amount of money or a fake championship is more valuable than the significant time commitment of 10 or more people. It decreases each manager's ability to have over the course of the year uh, via lower levels of competitiveness as well. Is over an infinite time span if those managers decide the league is not worth the time commitment at all. I'm watching a league I've run for 10 to 15 years fold because of a manager who consistently puts winning above all else in this capacity. Should I reconsider how I spend my time or should we reconsider what we want to be as a fantasy community? Best Matt. I thought this was kind of interesting just because I know there are a lot of leagues out there that are not high stakes leagues where it is your friends you've played with for a long time or maybe it's your friends and some friends of friends. And you dedicate several hours to draft day. And you dedicate maybe an hour a week managing the team in season. And all it takes is a couple of lopsided trades. And it just breaks everything for the rest of the season. And possibly longer in a keeper league. It's so easy to swing the balance over multiple years if you catch the right sort of bad deal. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think we need to have a better system maybe for evaluating trades in keeper leagues and and maybe not have the completely open, let's not veto trades, let people decide for themselves. Because I, I can totally see the other side of the argument, but I've never really stopped to think about how much damage these trades do and whether or not it's just you know, not worth having them at all in some cases. Yeah, I have a long time basketball league where uh, one owner has just amassed so much talent that uh, this year I was just like, for the first time, thought, do we need to change the rules somehow? Um, and, uh, you know, my longest term baseball league has been helped by the fact that uh, I haven't won. I, I, there was a while where I'd like won eight years in a row or something or six years in a row. And like, uh, so now they've gotten better and they've gotten uh you know i've i've slipped to second and third the last couple of years uh at times and it's head to head uh so there's a there is still a, a an element of chance i'm not sure if i'm answering the question that that's when sometimes i think people will stop playing is like someone has put together a super team just by out efforting you winning a bunch of trades by a little bit and nobody vetoed them along the way and now he's got a team where you're just like, oh, what's the point? Um, I would say that I think the way to attack that is structurally with rules changes. 
It's a little bit like um, blaming the ball or whatever in baseball, you know, rather than like trying to do something structural. Now I think they're getting to the point where they're they're going to try and do something structural. They're obviously already doing it with the sticky stuff and they're thinking about the mound changes and stuff. So kudos to them. But I think that's what you have to do. You have to act like the commissioner of your game. Your fantasy league, like you need to have a strong commissioner or at least every everybody there needs to have buy-in as if they were the commissioner in terms of like, this is what I want to see incentivized. And this is what I, my complaints to the league. And this is, you know, we don't like, we, we don't like streaming X Bob wins every year because he just streams all the time. Well, guess what? That's pretty easy. You go in there and you, and you, and you put a movement, a cap, a weekly movement cap or a month, a season movement cap or whatever. There's lots of different ways to, you, you can put, you know, K nine in. I don't know. There's all sorts of different ways that you can attack that and you incentivize Bob not to to stream. Um, I'm still not answering the question, am I? It's it's. I just don't like the feeling of like you think you can run these two teams better than those two people. I think I think the thing that I'd rather change incentives above it so that people make better decisions or think about things differently than to attack each. It's like a symptom, right? Each like bad trade is just a symptom think about the causes of that and and change the rules rather than like take someone's trade away from them trades are so hard <laughs> i'm just like if i if i got a trade through and then it got vetoed i'd be like ah <laughs> an hour so lost. long to get this trade a literal full hour of work with the back and forth the emails the texts the <laughs> yeah, phone calls all hours dude so i have trades that have taken years i just i, I do find I do find it frustrating when you know the like half the league or more is unable to keep up with another team because that team leverages trades better than other people do. And like anyone could go out and make those trades, but I think there's some maybe some internal discipline that some people have when they play fantasy baseball that they don't want to rip people off. Like some people actually believe that. They just say, "I want to make a good deal for me, but it's cool if it's a good deal for you too." Other people say, "I want to destroy you in this trade and go destroy someone else in a trade and have the the best possible super team right there's there's differing mindsets i think in in the way some people go about their trading in the first place that's where i'm sort of talking about like everyone buy in and everyone have the commissioner mindset of your own league because in my 12 team dynasty that i've that i've had for i don't know 15 years or something that's how i feel i don't want to rip everybody off because they're then more likely to leave <laughs> right you know? and as commissioner i have to go find that replacement you know and plus it's that one's not for money so it's just you know let's have a good time you know let me let me have jose urquidy because i think he's gonna be great but i'm gonna give you a, a good price for him so i guess to answer matt's question i don't think i don't think having trades without vetoes works for every league i think you need to know the quality of the people you're playing against and how they view long-term value. And if, if you, I would start with some kind of veto system if my league were new and see if we could take it away over time. Because if you, if you have a couple of, of managers in your league who are new or just, they just don't see it the way that the bulk of the league sees it, that can wreck the league quickly. You still want to be friends at the end of this. You still want to have fun with this. Like, it is more of a labor of love in most cases than it is a high stakes game. Like the high stakes arena is great, but it's an outlier. Most people don't play that way. 
And not surprisingly, trades aren't really allowed in most high stakes situations. Right, because of the possibility of collusion and it's totally understandable. So rather than not have trades at all, because I think it does create another path to make teams better in the long run and in the short term, it's good to have activity in the league throughout the season. I would say have a veto system in place if you are fearful of horrible trades wrecking the league. And I think how you specifically make that, is it half the league, two-thirds of the league, 80 whatever the cutoff is, how many people need to veto a trade, I think you can kind of scale that accordingly based on how flexible you'd like to be. Like if you if you want it to be generally pretty flexible, okay, half the league says yes, it's a good trade. I don't know if you necessarily want to put that in the hands of the commissioner because I think that's another way to make people very salty. If you and I work out a trade, we think it's fair and it goes to the commissioner and the commissioner by himself or herself can just say, nope, not happening. I don't think that necessarily works well in most leagues either. I did commissioner approval and I told everybody I'd basically approve everything. So yeah. it was basically a no veto policy. <laughs> yeah, so... I, it's a bummer. I, I, Matt, I wouldn't reconsider how you spend your time. I, I would say just try and, and tweak a few things about the league. Talk to the long-term people that have been in it. See what you can do that works for you guys. And, and, and I actually like what you're saying there, Derek, that like maybe it's not something I've thought about before. It is, it, it is another rule that you can use to incentivize play that you want, right? So I like how you're saying like in a, in a, if you're starting up a league, maybe it makes sense to have that in place. So that you can figure out, like, especially if it's if you're a bunch of strangers on the internet, you may not know. Oh, one of these kids is like a twelve year old. You know, <laughs> it's like somebody's kid is in this league and uh, makes a couple trades. You're like, whoa! Uh, uh, check out Fangraphs, dude. Like, check out these projections. <laughs> um, and and make it a teaching moment. And maybe uh, at the beginning you have uh, vetoes, and then maybe over time everyone sort of gets to a certain level of play, and then you can remove those vetoes. I, I hadn't really thought of. Uh, kind of scaling back and maybe you can even sort of write that into the constitution or maybe this person maybe for his league yeah let's let's reintroduce vetoes and see if that changes gameplay yeah hopefully that league stays together hopefully you can figure it all out matt but uh i understand the frustration for sure in in, in cases like that uh one last question that came in for this episode this one came from will uh will writes uh, that he has actually mentioned rates and barrels in a job interview, which uh, I hope that got you the job and didn't <laughs> automatically disqualify you for the position. <laughs> but uh, glad we're making an impact in, in the broader world out there. So Will is in a year two of an ESPN points league with a bunch of analyst work friends, and they've begun discussing manually adding a point if a position player pitching gets checked for a foreign substance like Harold Castro. <laughs> Or if a pitcher drops trow during a foreign substance check, a la Sergio Romo last week. The questions are, have either of you been in the league with similar point shenanigans? If so, what were they? And finally, more so for Eno, is there anyone out there tracking the number of foreign substance checks per pitcher if they continue to perform these out in the open? Um, to the second question, I haven't seen any counters like that. I've seen people count a lot of stuff and maintain a lot of spreadsheets in the last few years, and I haven't seen anyone tracking that yet. Uh, the problem is there; uh, it is not done in, out in the open. Um, it seems that way because we get these clips. It's being doing, done between. Um, it's being done in the in the commercial break, 
So it isn't something that somebody could with an MLT a TV account could just fire it up and watch all the games and count it. Yeah, yeah, you can't track it nearly as effectively as you'd like. You would need in stadium feed. Stats has has stringers, you know. Yeah, so they get they get a different feed, right? Oh yeah, they're at the game. I think so. And and they're or they have a they have like the sort of quad box uh, thing because, for example, I know that um, stats uh, for command knows what the catcher is signaling every time. And that's not on MLB TV every time because you don't always get the good view of the catcher's crotch. Um, So anyway, (laughs) yeah, good, good view, bad view, you know, depends Um, on your perspective, I guess. I always thought it was a little bit of a strange thing in baseball. It's like we all gather around and let's let's all gather in and closely stare at the catcher's crotch. Sports, a lot of weird stuff like that. <laughs> Look at how every football play starts. It's kind of right. weird. That's right. Uh, I watched rugby this weekend. Right, right, I mean, right by the butthole. A lot of, lot of hands in awkward places and rugby scrums. Oh, I mean, I've heard that they are brutal to each other. And in water polo, I heard that oh, like that's real underneath bad. the water, they're like pulling your underwear off and grabbing your... Mm. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of grabbing and clutching and kicking and things that happens in water polo. Ugly game below the water. I'd, I'd play one game and be like, why did you touch me there? I'm out. I'm done with this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see you guys later. I'm not playing this anyway, ever again. Uh, tracking weird things. Um, like to me, like people play with some things that I think are pretty weird, like triples and complete games, like complete games, dude, <laughs> complete I, games. You might as well put no hitter in there because no <laughs> people do that. How I, many people are throwing complete games that aren't no hitters these days? I haven't played any leagues in the last 10 years that have ridiculous categories. When I first started playing fantasy baseball, I'm sure I played in a league that was like 10 by 10. So doubles were a head-to-head roto counting stat triples were a head-to-head roto counting stat caught stealing you know all those things though it's this rough rough one to use yeah it's been a long time since i played any of those i've never played in a league that rewards anything just totally outlandish uh players getting ejected from a game or uh you know players eating food when they run over by the the fans and for a foul ball like you could do that but to me, it just adds a, an element of fun randomness that is too random for my liking. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a while, but I used to actually play fantasy hockey. And I, if I remember correctly, one of the standard categories in most hockey leagues is penalty minutes. Yes, which is weird because many of the players who score are not players <laughs> who spend a lot of time in the penalty box. So then you kind of need to balance. It's, it's, it's sort like of some like sort of defensive goon guy stat is that they're trying to give value to some defensive guys or something yeah or you need uh you need the pest you need the the pest that can also score 20 goals in a season because then he gives you that categorical balance i think think like some guy is a sean avery or sean avery was like a guy who always had tons of penalty minutes and enough assists and, and goals i think i remember rostering him a fair amount but yeah rewarding penalty (laughs) minutes in a hockey league is pretty bad like in baseball suspension days Days suspended. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. If Hector Santiago teaches us anything, it's that when these rule enforcements change and things like this happen, the first person suspended is always Hector Santiago or Alex the Sanchez, clubby, the clubby in in the in in the Angels clubhouse. You know, it's not. You know, it's not any of the big names that. 
that could have gone down. But uh, to be fair, I've seen some pretty big names on this uh, spin rate dropper list. So could just be that all the big names were like, yep, I'm not getting caught for this. Could be. I mean, there was a story about Santiago. He said it's just rosin and sweat in his glove, and they took his glove away, and they're checking it out. So we'll see what those tests reveal. But, uh, yeah, keeping an eye on that story. And you're right. I mean, Alex Sanchez was the first person, I think, popped for PEDs when that became a a big testing thing back in the mid-2000s, I think, was when they put that into effect. And he was a speed-over-power guy, like not the kind of guy you would have assumed to be taking any sort of PED because he wasn't your prototypical bulky power hitter. Mm-hmm. In Santiago, yeah. you're like, this guy's not throwing particularly hard. Like, why, why, would, why would we assume that he's doing anything? It's just it's very strange how that always works out. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, the, the link there that I hadn't thought of before, you, you were just talking about it. Uh, with PEDs, like, I think some of the richer ones didn't get caught because they had, they had paid scientists, you know, to stay ahead of the testing process, right? Um, that had to have happened. Yeah. It, ha- it has to be happening right now. There's, there are, the, it, like, the number of people using steroids in baseball is not zero. <laughs> yeah, but we like to think <laughs> no it's No one zero. gets caught anymore, but it's like, you know, the major leaguers they're using is not zero. Doesn't that mean that your, your, your testing and your enforcement is piss poor, it, realistically? Like, if you can't catch the cheaters, are you even, are they even trying, though? Well, they catch, like, they, they always catch, like, like, two or three minor leaguers a year or something. But, but yeah, that says to me, like, oh, once they get to the big leagues, they get the big league money and they know where to go. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I wonder if there's some sort of parallel here because uh, Bauer, uh, Trevor Bauer did give a really interesting interview during the game on Sunday night where he talked about all these different topics. And um, I think that he mostly aligned with the stuff I've been saying and reporting. So there there wasn't anything that our readers would be too, too surprised by. But he uh, did mention that he thinks that uh, enforcement is kind of uh, a little bit laughable. I forget exactly what his way of describing it was, but he was he was sort of getting at the fact that like they it's rote. They do the same thing. They look at the hat, they look at the belt, they look at the glove. Like maybe if you're rich enough and maybe maybe it wasn't teams that had a chemist, maybe it was like a pitcher that paid a chemist uh, to come up with something. You could probably ask your chemist to come up with uh, a good place to put that that wasn't your hat or your glove or your belt. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you could ask uh, a lot of scientists where to hide a substance, but the chemist is going to give you the substance that's least likely to harm you while you put it on some <laughs> random part of your body and to make it, you know, the tacky, extra sticky stuff. Yeah, if you, you put, if you just like went out there and and it just covered in spider tack and called it your new, your new, uh, your new sunscreen. Oh, it's just sunscreen. <laughs> a, it'd be hilarious because it's like caramel colored. And then B, when you tried to get that off. Oh, gross. So bad. You would have to rip every arm hair out. Remember the Lake Erie midges in, in Jabba Chamberlain a few years ago in Cleveland? Oh, yeah. Imagine those things hovering around a, a pitcher covered in spider tack and the <laughs> bugs getting stuck on the guy, too. Like, there's so many fun ways this could play out. I hope we're that lucky. Oh, my God. You just, we should just have, like, a high-level independent league that does the exact opposite of everything that baseball does, you know? And it's just like, 
A, if you're bored of playing, you know, for those other independent leagues, come to this one where we encourage the craziest sticky stuff usage. We have like three cans out by the out by the mound. <laughs> they got the, the charcuterie board out there. Yeah. That's what you want. Like like basically you take Bob Ross's palette and just cover it in sticky stuff. <laughs> and then the play-by-play announcer is like, ooh, look at that. He went to the Vaseline on the thumb and the spider tack on the fingers. I think what is coming is this. <laughs> I was uh, thinking about spider tack this weekend because among the many fun things I did as a grown-up with a little bit of time off on Saturday as I was watching Cornhole on TV. <laughs> and it was I was watching rugby. As one does. So yes, I was, so I, I went from NBA playoffs. You're watching rugby and then it finished and the next thing that came on was Cornhole. <laughs> I, here's what I watched this weekend. On ESPN Ocho. <laughs> so my wife was a gymnast uh, up into the beginning part of college. So she loves gymnastics. Obviously Big deal with Summer Olympics coming up. The U.S. trials were this weekend. I think the track and field was on too. So we had the gymnastics trials on. Then we had Bucks Hawks on. Then we had the uh, rugby championship, which was old. It was obviously like 10 o'clock at night, and this was a replay. It was awesome. It was really fun to watch, (laughs) even though I understood about a third of what was happening. This was my first time ever watching 11 v. 11 rugby. Uh, And then... Cornhole was on, and I changed the channel, and Cornhole was on a different channel, and then axe throwing was on, <laughs> which is crazy, just crazy to see these bar games getting this much coverage, but Cornhole having two TV deals, I'm excited about that, and it makes me excited about the future of Pickleball, too, because I think it's going to get there, I'm telling you guys, Pickleball, <laughs> it's already big, just behind the scenes, it's going to be on the scene real soon. Uh, speaking of on the scene, if you would like to get a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for $3.99 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. All the baseball coverage, all the coverage we do for all the sports, all for one low price. It's a great deal. Again, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. On Twitter, he is at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. You can drop us a line via email, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.